If you have your Bible today for the final time in our study, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We will be in Luke chapter 24, and we will begin reading in verse 36, Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And today we're going to conclude our study. I looked back and I saw the date, and I knew it was way back there, but it's still hard for me to hard to believe. Uh, this study was begun August 2nd of 2020 which was a long time ago. I mean, that's just after COVID hit. I mean, that was a long time ago. But we've been in the, the Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, and we finally made it through to chapter 24, and we're going to finish up our teaching uh, out, of, out of Luke's Gospel. And, and remember, Luke began his Gospel announcing the birth of John the Baptist, who was the Messiah's forerunner. And, of course, then he focused on uh, Jesus, who was the Messiah. Talked about his, he recorded his, his life, his teachings, all the stuff that he did. He, we, he talked about his, his sacrificial death on the cross, his burial and resurrection. And today we're going to look at a, uh, at, at, of course, we, we talked about the resurrection on Easter. And then last week we saw a post-resurrection account. Today we're going to look at the final one that Luke records in his return to glory. Now you remember, um, uh, last week we saw him go along with, there were a couple of disciples who were on the road to a, a town called Emmaus. And Jesus begins to travel along with them. He does kind of an impromptu Bible study with them as they're traveling along and shows, uh, shows them how all the scriptures are pointing to him and how they're fulfilled in him. They, they finally realize who it is that's, that's there with them, and they rush back and they tell the disciples. That was later Easter Sunday. What we're going to pick up in today is Easter evening. So it's taken us three weeks to get to uh, Easter evening. And so in their excitement, the, these disciples go back, they tell the apostles what's happened, and, and not just the apostles, but also, also uh, the disciple band that's there with them. And that's where we pick up. So if you found Luke 24 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 36 and read down to the end of the chapter. It says, while they were telling, uh, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do, you, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they, while they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending for, sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising God. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Now, our text today breaks down into four main sections, and the first is the suddenness of his appearance. 
the suddenness of his appearance. Look in your Bibles again at verse 36 and following. It says, while they were saying these things. Now the they that, they're talk- that it's talking about are these two guys who were on the road to Emmaus. We know one of them was named was Cleopas. We don't know who the other one was. But they were telling these, uh, these uh, apostles and the other disciples that Jesus was alive, that he had risen from the dead and, uh, and had appeared to them. And so they were conveying all this information. But this is not new information to the apostles. This is not new information to those who were gathered. You remember the, the, the women had gone to the tomb. They'd found it empty. They came back and reported this. The angels who were at the tomb and, and had spoken to the women, they had reported this. Peter and John, when they found out what had happened, they went to the tomb and found out that it was just as, as the women had said. And so evidently they had reported back. And if you look back at verse 34 in your Bibles, the disciples tell these two guys who were on the road to Emmaus that the Lord had really risen and had appeared to Simon. So he had appeared specifically to Simon, and he had evidently come, come, come back and had reported these things to the, to the uh, other disciples as well. So this is not new information. And yet it's still amazing information because if you look at verse 34, whenever these disciples that had gone to Emmaus are, t- are telling this information, look at what verse 34 says. They said, the Lord really has risen. He has, he has really risen. They say it, they believe it, but then verse 36, when he shows up, it surprises them. It, it amazes them, it startles them. Now understand what's being communicated here. It's not like Jesus was being like a ninja. You remember the old ninja movies from the 1980s and early 90s? The ninjas were the big thing. They'd throw down a smoke bomb and, and all of a sudden a ninja would be there or he would be gone. There was no smoke bomb and Jesus was there. He was not being a ninja. He didn't just stroll by say, hey, that door's open. I wonder who's in there. Oh, well, it's, it's the disciples. I'll just mosey on in there and talk to him. That's not what happened. The Bible says that the door in, in John chapter uh, uh, 20 and verse 19, it says that the door was shut for fear of the Jews. They had it barred. They were, they were locked in. And so Jesus didn't just stroll by and happen to see what was going on and, and pop his head in to see what was happening. They were, they were in hiding. And the Bible says that they were all there. Thomas was not. He was, we don't know where he was, but, but he was not according to John chapter 20. But, but, but they're in this locked room and all of a sudden Jesus appears. Okay? Now, now, now understand, you've you no doubt been startled when somebody has been there when you didn't expect them to. I used to do this to teachers all the time when I worked in, in the schools. I worked in IT. And so I had a key to almost every door in the building or in, in the district. And so somebody would have a ticket in, they need some help with something, and the door would be locked, and i just let myself in. And I'd, I'd try to do it so as not to be disruptive. I didn't come in and make a big scene. I'd just slip in, and sometimes the teachers wouldn't realize it. They'd be working with a student, or they'd, be, they'd have their back to the classroom because they, they were uh, doing something up on the board, and I'd just walk up to them, and I wouldn't say anything because I didn't want to disturb them, and all of a sudden they would turn, and there's this man standing right at their elbow, and I don't know how many people I about gave a heart attack to. So, so you can imagine these people, are they, they believe that Jesus is alive, but they didn't expect him to show up. And all of a sudden, they're in this locked room, and, and, and suddenly this man appears that, that, that comes out of nowhere, and it, it, it scares the living daylights out of them. And that's why the, the Bible says they were startled and frightened. They, 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 they were their, their jaws hit the ground. I mean, they, they were, it, it, it took some years off their life. I want you to notice his greeting to them, though, in verse 36. He doesn't say, hey, guys, you remember uh, a couple days ago, y'all said you are going to stick with me to the death? 
You remember that? And, 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 when, and when push came to shove, y'all turned tail and ran. He didn't, he didn't berate them. He didn't put them down. He didn't say, you know what? You guys are some lousy disciples. I should have picked a lot better guys than you. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he pronounces peace upon them. Now, even though they believed Jesus was alive, they confessed it, verse 34, they couldn't believe it when they saw it with their own eyes. And maybe you've had something like that happen. You believe something to be true, but it's just so good whenever you finally see it or experience it, you just can't hardly believe it. And that's what, that's what was going on. They were amazed. And some people thought they were seeing a ghost. And that leads to the second section, and that is the nature of his resurrection. If you look at verses 38 and following. Some had doubts he had risen bodily from the dead. They thought he was a spirit. They thought he was an apparition of some sort. But look at verse 39. He appeals to their senses. I'm going to take you back to your days of grade school. What are the five senses? We have touch, smell, taste, sight, hearing. I mean, we, you, know the, you know the senses. Look at what he says. He appeals to, to their senses. Look at what he says in, in verse 38. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verse 39, see my hands and my feet. Touch me. There, there are two different senses, and they are hearing him speak. He appeals to every one of their senses except smelling and tasting, and that would be weird, right? But, I mean, he's, he's appealing to all these senses to verify, to, to show them he is there in the flesh. So what do we see about the resurrection? First, we see that it is a true resurrection. And what I mean by that is the same body they took off the cross, the same body that was walking around with them in, in, in Nazareth and Galilee and all these different places, the same one that they took off the cross and laid in the grave is the same one that came out of the grave. It is a true resurrection. And, 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 and he appealed, you'll notice in verse 39, to the marks of the crucifixion that were left in his hands and feet. It's not a different body. It was a resurrected body. Because if it's not the same body that went into the grave, it's not a resurrection. It's a switcheroo. And so this is a true resurrection. Now there are some changes that happened. He could now appear and disappear at will. We can't do that. Locked doors and walls and so forth, they didn't, they didn't hinder him at all. And, and, and so, so we see there are some, there's continuity between the old and the new, but there are some differences. And it kind of helped maybe frame this in our mind with something we're familiar with. If you've ever been inside a remodeled house, you, you understand the concept here. The house is the same. Maybe you go in and, and one day the, the cabinets are all broken and, and, and the doors are kind of falling off and the countertops are cracked and the, the light fixtures are old and, and they look nasty no matter how much you scrub them, you can't get them clean looking. And the bathroom, well, we, we're not even going to talk about the bathroom and the carpet's all ratty. You, you've been in a house like that. Maybe you live in a house like that. But then, then there's some remodeling that goes on. And you go into the house, and it's the same house, but all of a sudden the, the, the cabinets are all brand new. The countertops are, have, have been replaced with granite. Uh, the, 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 the light fixtures have been replaced. In the bathroom, that old tub that's all stained and nasty has been replaced with a jacuzzi tub. And, and the linoleum is up, and now there's tile. And, and the carpet's all new, new furniture. It's the same house, but there's been some upgrades that's, that have happened. It's, it's the, same, uh, the same idea here. There's, it's the same body, but there have been some upgrades in the resurrected body. Because now he can appear and disappear and, and, and so on and so forth. And what's interesting is that Jesus, he appeals to these marks in his, in his body. It's, again, it's the same body. 
And what does he say? He says, see my hands and my feet. And this is just kind of a side note, but you remember, Thomas wasn't there. And what did he say whenever he showed up and all the disciples said, hey, Jesus is alive, we've seen him. What does he say? I'll not see unless I see his hands and his feet and so forth. I wonder if, I wonder if they didn't convey his proofs to, them, to, to him and, and, and he said that he wouldn't believe unless he saw it for himself. Anyway, it's a true resurrection. The second thing I want you to see is that it is a bodily resurrection. It is a bodily resurrection. It is not a spiritual resurrection. Jesus didn't die and, and his body put in the grave and then his spirit was resurrected. He's not a disembodied spirit. He's not Casper the ghost. If, if, you've seen those, if you've seen a movie where a ghost is or some kind of spirit, you know, people will move their hand and it just passes right through them. That's, you couldn't do that with Jesus. If you would have done that, you would have hit him. You could feel the you could feel his flesh, you feel the frame of the bones beneath his flesh. He was he was a real body. And it's significant because there are groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses that say, no, it was a spiritual resurrection. He had a spirit body. No, Jesus had a body body. He didn't have a spirit body, he had flesh and bones. And third, we see in the resurrection that he was able to eat. Now, this is further proof that he's a, a, a physical being, not just a spirit, because he says, hey, and this is the, the Ozarkian version, y'all got any food? And they gave him some fish and he eats. And it shows there's some continuity in functions in the resurrection. You say, well, pastor, that's all, that's all well and good. But what does that have to do with us? How does that affect me? Well, the Bible says that he is the first fruits of those who believe. He is, he, he, he is a picture of what our resurrection bodies are going to be like. He is, he, is a, he is a representative sample. And because Jesus rose from the dead and had a glorified body, so you too as a believer will one day rise again. And you will have a glorified body that will be like Jesus's. Now using the, the, the image of a seed being sown in the ground, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. And so if, of course now it's springtime and people are starting to think about gardening and, and sowing seeds. And he says that that's what it's like when, when this old body is, is sown into the soil. It's, it's, it's laid in the ground in the grave. And, and it will come up. It, it, will, it, it, will, it will produce fruit, so to speak. And so first, he says that, it is, uh, that this body is, is perishable. It's, it's prone to decay. It's prone to dissolution. And no doubt you've noticed that as you've looked in the mirror. You don't look the same as you did 20 years ago. You don't feel the same as you did 20 years ago. Your, your body's breaking down. Your body is in the process of dying. Your, your body's in the process of, of decay. And, and the Bible says that, that we are, we are, our bodies are sown perishable, but they will be raised imperishable. One day we will have a glorified body that's not going to ache and hurt. We're, we're not, we're not going to have a failing body. As many of us think back to our our vitality and youth. We think, oh, boy, if I would have known then what I know now, boy, I sure would have made a lot better use of it. I remember back when I was young, I could do this, I could do that. And listen, in your resurrection body, your best day as a young person is going to be, it's not going to be on the same scale as what your resurrection body will be like. Yes, it, it was perishable, but it will be raised imperishable. Our bodies are sown, Paul says, in dishonor, and it'll be raised in glory. It was sown in weakness, it'll be raised in power. Jesus is the first fruits of those who believe in because he lives, his followers will live too. And that is a blessed hope for 
for us who are alive, but it's also a hope for, for our friends and loved ones who have died in the Lord. Many of us have, have had friends and loved ones who have battled and, and maybe lost the battle to cancer or, or some other terminal illness. They've, they, they've, they've been confined in, in different uh, situations. Maybe they've been in traffic accidents, farming accidents. Uh, they, they, they've had all kinds of things that have happened to them. But listen, there, there's going to be a day when there's no more pain and no more suffering, no more chronic illness. You know, the, the, the pain relievers, uh, the pain relieving companies, Aleve and Tylenol, all the rest, uh, they're going to go out of business because you won't, you won't have need for that because you'll have a body like Jesus. We will have resurrected, glorified bodies that are fit for eternity in heaven. The third thing I want you to see is the illumination of their minds. The illumination of their minds. Look at verses 44 and following. Again, he reminds them that he's told them that all this is going to happen. But it's not just that it was going to happen, that it was foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. Now, the the Jews at the time, and, and still some today, break the, the Old Testament up into three main sections. You may have heard or, or have read the word Tanakh, T-A-N-A-K, or maybe you've seen it abbreviated T-N-K. That, is, that represents the three sections of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. The Torah, that's the, the books of Moses. The Nevi'im, that's the, the, the books, the, the, the prophets. And then the Ketuvim are the writings, the Psalms and Proverbs and so forth. And so if you look at what Jesus says... In verse 44, he says that all things that are written about me, where? In the law of Moses, the Torah, the prophets, the Nevi'im, and the Psalms, the Ketuvim, the the writings. He says that all the scriptures point to him. All the scriptures point to him. And and the Bible says that he enabled them to understand. Now, we, we saw the same thing last week. God enables his followers to understand the scriptures. God enabled the the men on the road to Emmaus to understand, to see how these things point to Jesus. And when you read your Bible, you need to be asking God to help you to read and understand the Scriptures. Not just to to see what the words are on the page, but that God would illumine your mind, that He would enlighten you so that you could see how the Scriptures are fulfilled and point to Jesus. Now understand, even if you pray that, you still have to pay attention because not everything that pops in your head after you pray is necessarily from God. Because if you don't do that, I mean, you still have to compare Scripture with Scripture and so forth. But if you, if you don't do that, you might end up like the lady who said, who one day told her pastor that she's going to divorce her husband. And he was surprised at that. He was disturbed by that. And he asked for some more information and said, well, she said, well, uh, God, God show me from the Scriptures I should do that. And he kind of raised his eyebrows and said, Really? What scripture was that? He, she said, um, Ephesians 4.24 says, put on the new man. No, that, that's, not, that's not what that means. Now you can pray and say, God, tell me, tell me what this means, and then come up with your own harebrained cockamamie uh, interpretation. But what I'm saying is, you're not going to fully understand the scriptures unless God enlightens your mind. And, and Jesus opens their minds to, to understand the scriptures. And, and how they have their fulfillment in Him. But I, I want you to notice, this illuminating work is not meant to be hoarded up just in the church house. Because He says you need to understand the Scriptures, but then you need to put some, put some shoe leather to it. In, in verse 46, He said it's, it's written that Christ would suffer and, 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 and be buried and, and rise again. 
But now you need to take it out to the highways and the byways, and you should proclaim it to, to all the nations that need to repent for the forgiveness of sins. That's the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. We need to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. Why? Because all people everywhere in all times are sinners. All people need Jesus. And therefore, we need to tell them because how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? Hear what? They they, they need to hear that they are a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We have sinned against. We have wronged. We have offended a holy God. And the just punishment for that for that sin is eternal wrath from God in hell. But the good news is that if you'll repent, if you'll have a, a change of mind about, if you'll make an about face on your, on your journey in life and turn away from your sin and turn to God in faith, you will be forgiven. You'll be pardoned. Your slate will be wiped clean. And he says that message needs to start in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus' own killers were. He stood ready to forgive even them, and He stands ready to forgive even you if you will repent of your sin. He was ready and willing to forgive them. And today He is ready and willing to to, to forgive all who would turn to Him in faith. That's the message that started out in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and has made it all the way to southwest Missouri 2,000 years later. The same good news is proclaimed today as it was back then, that if you will turn from your sin, if you will repent even today, you will be saved. Now Jesus tells them, stay, stay in town till, till the, the Spirit is given. We know that happens in, in the book of Acts. And the last thing I want you to see is the ascension of Christ. Now, if you look at your Bibles between verses 49 and 50, Luke doesn't indicate this, but there's a gap of 40 days where Jesus appears multiple times to different groups of people, does miracles, teaches them, does, does all sorts of proofs to show that He is the Messiah, that He has really risen from the dead. And he takes them out to Bethany, and he blesses them. And as, as, he's, as he's doing this, he gives them what we call the Great Commission, recorded in Matthew 28. He ascends back into heaven from whence he came. And then the gospel ends much like it began. And that is in the temple. The, the promised Messiah had come. In Luke chapter 1, we have the forerunner who is to proclaim the Messiah. That Messiah came. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. And he has risen again and has ascended back into heaven. And now the question remains, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to be like the disciples who go joyfully to the Lord's house? You know, some folks, some folks claim to be Christians, but they don't go to church. And I, I don't understand that. And here's what they say a lot of times. Well, I don't go, there are just too many hypocrites. Well, there's always room for another. But listen, if you go out to a lake, if you go out to the ocean, not everything in, in that water is a fish. There's some snakes in there. There's some, there's some garbage in there. There's some logs in there. Not everything there is a fish, but every fish is in the water. In the same way with, with, with Christians. Not everybody in the church is a Christian, but Christians ought to be in the church. Every Christian should be in the church. Why? Because that's your natural habitat. Now, there are always going to be tares among the wheat. You, you know what? I've noticed that there are counterfeit bills out in circulation. But that doesn't keep me from buying a Big Mac, does it? 
You, you don't say, well, there's counterfeit money, so I'm not going to use any money. No, you don't do that. But some people say, well, they're, they're counterfeit Christians. They're people that don't follow Christ, and they're going to church. Whoop-de-doo. You don't, you don't stop using the real thing, enjoying the, the, the privileges of the real thing, because there are some copycats. Don't stop going to church because there are some copycats, because there are too many hypocrites, because there's, there, there are some counterfeits. You don't do that. You should be in the church. They went joyfully to the Lord's house. And when they were there, they were joyful. Why? Because Jesus had risen from the grave. And listen, the same is true today. Sometimes, sometimes we come to church and we look like somebody kicked us in the shins and we've been sucking on a, on a, a sour lemon. And, we, and I, I get it, because sometimes I look like that even when I'm happy. Some of us just have a, a frown that's just perpetually on our face. I, I get that. But listen... You know, sometimes when we sing the songs of Zion, now I, I look out at everybody every once in a while, and I can see if you're singing or not. And sometimes Scarlett's almost singing a solo. But she shouldn't be doing that. Why? Because when we sing the songs of Zion, lift your voice and sing. When we pray, pray. Sometimes, you know, heads bowed, eyes closed. That's a great time to bow your head and close your eyes. And when I say, you know, when I encourage you to pray, that's a great time not to just close your eyes and think about going to Cracker Barrel. That's a great time to pray. You know, sometimes we just go through the motions. But they went joyfully to the Lord's house and they really rejoiced. And they, 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 they worship God. But maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're hearing this today and, and, and maybe even today the Lord is enlightening your mind and you, you, you're beginning to understand that you, not just everybody else, not just me, but you are a sinner. And you need re- to repent. You've never done that. Friend, that is the best thing you could ever do. That's the whole reason Jesus came was to provide salvation for sinners. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. Now as you stand, I ask you, bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I encourage you to honestly take stock of your spiritual life. Are you a follower of Christ? Not a perfect follower of Christ. There's only been one perfect person. And that's Jesus. I'm not talking about perfection. But do you seek to please Him in all that you do? you go to the Lord's house, are you regular there? Do you participate? Do you just go through the motions?
Maybe you're in a situation where the expectation and the hope of the resurrection body is what you need. And you look forward to those days of no aches, no pains, no hospital visits, no doctors poking and prodding you, no prescriptions, perfect health, vitality. One day, because Christ rose again, you too will rise again. Those loving, those loved ones in the past that have died in the Lord, will be reunited. And they too will be free of those pains and sufferings. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We thank you that um, because Christ rose, we too will rise again. And these old perishable, dying, decaying bodies will one day be, uh, will be renovated, be made to be uh, fit for eternity in heaven with you. And God, we look forward to and we long for that day. And God, we look forward to those days of reunion, those days of joy, those days of being free of the pains and difficulties of this life. But in the meantime, Lord, we know that your grace is sufficient and we pray that you would help us as we endure our different situations. And God, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.